0: You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey everybody! Uh, thanks so much uh, just to hear and see what God is doing all over our community and our region has been super, super encouraging and uh, um, and very gratifying as the pastor of our church to see what God is doing um, all over our community. So, uh, thank you for your prayers and encouragement. Um, this past week, I've received so many emails and texts letting me know um, that people are praying for me, excited about the direction our church is going in right now, and and uh, and it's not all about all of us agreeing is it? It's about us uh, loving unconditionally, even when we disagree politically, as I talked about last week, and I'm going to keep on talking about today. Um, it's it's a beautiful challenge and an opportunity for us as Westside Church people that are very diverse ideologically, coming together under the banner of Jesus and following him and following his leading and doing what he asks us to do. Uh, you know, when I lived in uh, Croatia, uh, it was... We we were with people. We ministered with people who had very different ideas about politics and social issues, and we 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 read the same Bible. We had the same value in it, um, but but looking, we looked at it uh, through the lens of our own culture, our own experiences. Um, we and, and so we decided to f- simply focus on Jesus, focus on who He is, and and His kingdom, and 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 how He transforms us by the. renewing of our minds, and and so we looked at him above everything else, and we decided to not go to Croatia and show them our way. Rather, we went there to discover together the way of Jesus, and that's really, I think, what God is asking us as a church to do. Um, Have you ever, have you heard recently about the culture war um, idea, the culture war Christianity? It's a version of Christianity that um, constantly feels attacked by the culture, um, or is uh, is feels the need to attack the culture it's it's almost like um, it's almost like th- that version of christianity is an enemy to sustain itself. Um, and so we, we, we kind of put on the battle gear and we go, we're gonna fight, that kind of idea. And, and I've, I've found in this season in particular that when we find ourselves, Christians, in this battle, when we have that kind of perspective, what we end up doing is we're often tempted to use Jesus in our battles, which, which means that every political party or ideology believes that they've got the corner on Jesus. And it was the same during his earthly ministry. Matter of fact, people tried to get Jesus to take their side, whether it was Rome or whether it was the Jewish religious system. But Jesus constantly is refusing, we just see it in the scripture, refused to play their game of tug of war. He did not take either side of the rope. He came to inaugurate a brand new kingdom with a completely different set of rules than the kingdoms of this world. Jesus came to reverse the order of things. He came to establish another way. Now, I'm going to go through four or five scriptures. And so if you have a Bible, you can follow along in that. Or I would probably encourage you to just write down the scripture references and then maybe dig into those scriptures in your home church or in your own study. And I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 2. This is an interesting chapter. It's a, there's several letters that Jesus write, has John write to some churches in, um, in, in that region. And one letter in particular caught my attention this past week as I was studying for this message. It's the, it's the letter that the message that, the, that Jesus writes to the church in Pergamum. Um, and you're probably thinking, "Pergamum," and just I was—that's what I was thinking. Per, what, can, what does Pergamum have to do with Bend or Central Oregon? Well, it's really interesting. In chapter two, uh, verse thirteen, Jesus says this: "I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne." Let me just stop right there. Can you imagine being that city, being described as, "I know you live in the city where Satan's thro- throne is"? I mean, oh my gosh. Um, I, how, you, how much do you think our house could sell for right now? You know, if you heard that word, like, maybe we can move over to that Smyrna. Let's go to Smyrna. Uh, anyway, that's, that's a Bible joke. <laughs> nobody laughed. Nobody laughed in here either. So those at home churches, don't worry. So, so he says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me, super important word. Loyal to me, you refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you, there in Satan's city. And then, and then, I'm not going to read this, but he goes on and he mentions a, a, an Old Testament prophet, Balaam, a false prophet, um, and and Balaam encouraged Israel to. Um, mixed the worship of God with the worship of many gods. So it was, in other words, it was idolatry. He was encouraging um, uh, uh, Israel uh, towards idolatry to have kind of two things that they were worshiping. And, And it's important for us to know, I think, how the church in Pergamum was practicing idolatry because that's the nature of the story here about Balaam, right? And so, so as I as I studied about Pergamum, Pergamum is the city where the worship of the Roman emperor was initiated. It was kind of where it it, it got its grasp in the Roman Empire. The worship of the emperor or the the worship of a system, a government system. One ancient document uh, from that day describes what it was like living in Pergamum. And it says all citizens were expected to participate in civil religion. Interesting phrase. Or they would be suspected of disloyalty against the state. And so what was happening in Pergamum was some Christians were replacing the worship of God or adding to the worship of God, the worship of the emperor. Now, of course, many did not. Um, one is Antipas. He was killed because of that. Matter of fact, it was in Pergamum where killing Christians became legal precedent for executing Christians across the province. See, Christians who chose not to play the game, who chose not to align themselves with a system that was not for the way of Jesus. They decided to put their loyalty in Jesus Christ and him alone. Christians who refused to put their hope and trust in a system designed by the world. And it's a temptation I think all of us face to put our loyalty and a hope in the systems and organizations of this world. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew it would be our temptation in John chapter 18. He's talking to his to to Pilate um, just prior to his crucifixion and Pilate is trying to get him to choose a side. He's trying to under, you know, which side are you on? Rome, Jew, what are, what are you? And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight. So anytime I see Christians fighting, I I realize that they don't understand that the kingdom, his kingdom is not of this world. They think it is of this world. But Jesus is saying, if it worked, if my kingdom was an earthly kingdom, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. See, the world's way is to win. It's to get our way. It's to use our power to influence um, our agendas. To win, in essence, the culture war interesting to me that Jesus, when he did play our game, he played it to lose. He willingly let the system kill him. He played to lose our game in order to give us an opportunity to win his. This is why he never took sides. Because no side was willing to lose for the sake of the other side. That's the way the world system works. There's not a system in this world that is willing to lose for the sake of another. Now, if this doesn't sound right to you, if this bothers you just a little bit, don't worry. Even his disciples, who had been with him for three years, had a hard time grasping this concept. They're on their way to Jerusalem just before the last week of Jesus' life. And they're discussing who's going to be Jesus' number two and number three. You know, the hierarchy, because we love hierarchies. And so they were discussing this. Who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom, right? Because he's, he's about to initiate it because they still had this idea, right, that, 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 that his kingdom would be this, the kingdoms of this world. And so they're fighting, kind of arguing about who's going to be the best. And, and, uh, and Jesus decides he wants to go through Samaria. And he always uses Samaria to make a point with his disciples about what his kingdom is like. And, the, and, 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 and so the disciples go in, ask for a place to stay. The Samaritans reject Uh, these disciples. And so they go back saying, Jesus, they rejected us. They don't want us to stay there. And James and John in particular, um, who I, I just love these two guys. John, by the way, is the author of the gospel of John, the letters on love that we read some last week and the book of Revelation. And listen to what they said in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, in response to these Samaritans' We rejected Jesus. Well, Lord, <laughs> should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> Jesus is probably like three years. Three years I've been with you guys. Three long, long years. And you want me to use my power to destroy. And Jesus rebukes them. Matter of fact, the word that he uses to rebuke them is the same word he often used to rebuke demons. Because that's not the way his kingdom works. But I don't want us to be too hard on these guys, right? Because the entire nation of Israel was convinced that Yahweh would send a Messiah that would be a revolutionary king to overthrow their oppressors and their enemies and reestablish the reign of the line of King David and make Israel great again. They were convinced that that was what's supposed to happen. And so they were willing to fight for it. And this is why they could not understand why Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus would talk about it with them, and they didn't get it. It just like went over their heads. And one of the greatest rebukes, one of the greatest rebukes of Jesus to his disciples came when Peter tried to get Jesus not to lose their game. Peter's trying to convince Jesus, no, don't don't say you're going to die. That doesn't fit. Don't lose their game. We're meant to win their game. And Jesus, in this interaction in Matthew chapter 16, Peter takes Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things about his crucifixion, right? And he said, Peter said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me you are seeing listen to this you are seeing things merely from a human point of view not from god's you are merely seeing things from a human point of view not from god's this is what happens this is this and so when we talk about faith and politics we have to be aware of that we often we often, including myself, view the world through our lens. We view it through a human point of view. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things, neither of which are easy. First, I'm going to ask you to confess our sin of idolatry. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan and 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 Satan says, Satan took him up to a, to a high peak. This is in Matthew 4, verse 8. He takes him to a really high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory that he could have if he just would reign over them. And Satan said, I will give all it all to you. If you'll just kneel down and worship me and Jesus said, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There is only one king who deserves our worship. There is only one ruler who deserves our loyalty. See, God's calling us not to put our hope in any earthly system. He's called us to follow him above all else, to put our hope in him, to give him our allegiance. So are we willing to follow Jesus and his way, even if it creates space between us and our culture or even us and our political parties? Because when we put our hope in a political system or political leaders or a worldly system or organizations, we will be disappointed and frustrated. Throughout history, whenever the church has taken up the tools of the kingdoms of this world, the church ends up looking just like the world and it becomes weak and desperate and fearful and fractured. This is why I'm convinced that The church looks more like Jesus when we are defending other people's rights rather than our own, when we are giving away and living generously rather than demanding our own way. And if that scares you or makes you feel like you'll lose something, then you now understand why this was so hard for the disciples of Jesus and why it feels so counterintuitive in our world. We are Christians first. Americans second. Our primary identity is as followers of Christ. Paul writes so much about how we are foreigners and aliens in this world. Our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus. Now, listen, that doesn't mean we can't be patriotic and fight for social justice. It simply means our allegiance is to the king who sits on the throne. Now, right now, some of you are probably feeling like pulling away a little bit from this moment. You're feeling the tension. You feel some emotion that's starting to rise up from your gut. And you're like, it's this, this low level of anxiety or maybe even anger. And and I want to sit there just for a second and ask, what where does that, what does that reaction tell you? What does that feeling tell you that of anxiety and angst and It might be telling you that this world system has a hold on you. If you're afraid or anxious or worried about who might end up or stay in the White House, this world has you. Because Jesus is on the throne and he will have his way regardless. We need to confess our idolatry in the systems of this world. Second thing I want to ask you is to reconsider your engagement in the public arena. Now, I'm not saying to disengage. That would be the easy way. (laughs) The way of Jesus does not preclude political involvement, but it does inform the tone of our engagement. There are things we need to stand for. There are things that we need to stand against. And if we truly follow the way of Jesus, those things, listen, those things will not fit neatly in either political party. We will see injustices and immorality on both sides. So yes, engage. Jesus engaged in the world around him. He was not passive. He was not neutral. But always remember Galatians chapter 5, which we looked at last week. Do everything you do with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, with faithfulness, and with self-control. Here's a scripture that helped me uh, guide my uh, my public interactions. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God your father who is in heaven. Now, let me just take one moment to speak to what I think is one of the largest distractions and tools of idolatry in our country right now. About two weeks ago, I watched a Netflix documentary called uh, The Social Dilemma. I would encourage everyone actually to watch it. It describes the use of social media to reinforce our positions, to manipulate even thought and action. It really concerned me. It's important, I think, for us to talk about it because I think we're allowing social media and the news to disciple us in our ideologies and our identities rather than God's word. Just think about how much time you spend in social media compared to how much time you spend in God's word. And that will tell you something. I, I was so impacted when I remember last week I told you guys about my climb up to Mount Bachelor, and um, I was as I was climbing, I, as the higher I got, the less noise there was, except for those Harleys that drove by. <laughs> you can always hear them. Anyway, you get up to a certain point and there's complete silence, and it was that day that I, as I was coming down Mount Bachelor that I decided to to um, to stop the noise to get rid of distractions. And I'm not, I'm not one of those that just kind of goes into it like slowly and just, you know, get rid of notifications so that it doesn't keep dinging at me all the time, you know, and say, hey, you need to read this. Hey, this just happened, hey, you know. I'm just kind of a cold turkey guy, so this is, so this is what I did. You guys remember this thing? You guys remember that? It's a phone. You know what it does? Absolutely nothing. No, you can make phone calls and answer texts. No, you can't answer texts. I mean, how can you type with this thing? You know, I can read texts. Let's just be honest, you know. But it doesn't tell me what to think or how to vote. Because I think Jesus might actually have something to say about those things. So I want to spend time, and I know this, is, this is, might be an overreaction. I, I, granted, this might be an overreaction, but I want to hear the voice of Jesus, especially now in these days that we live. And so I'm not going to ask you to delete Facebook. I'm not going I'm, I'm to you know, make you feel guilty if you continue to use social media. We're not going to be that church, right? But I would ask you, to reserve your public discourse to face to face conversations. Have robust and loving conversations in home churches, in coffee shops, in your neighborhoods. Engage in politics locally and regionally where we can actually make a difference. Get into God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom regarding how to vote this fall. Don't believe everything you read on social media or hear on the news. Think critically. Pray consistently and vote conscientiously. Think critically, pray consistently and vote conscientiously. Well, let's finish up. I want to honor the time that we have together and I've covered a lot of ground in this message, especially over the last two weeks. So I want to just ask you just for a moment, take a deep breath and reflect. What is God saying to you specifically? Maybe Maybe he's asking you, have you put your hope in any other way than the way of Jesus? Have you allowed yourself to be too closely connected to your political party? Or have you been trying to fight a culture war? Or maybe you assume whatever position you hold, Jesus holds it with you. (laughs) Maybe you're consuming, simply just consuming too much on social media and not enough of God's word. You know, Jesus's disciples finally got it. They finally understood what Jesus was trying to get at when he knelt down in front of them and washed their feet. They finally understood, they saw it when Jesus forgave the men who crucified him. They heard it when Jesus offered paradise to a criminal who was hanging next to him. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were reminded every day that the way of Jesus is humility, mercy, meekness, and righteousness. And instead of a political revolution, Jesus directed his followers towards a kingdom that is led by a lion who looks like a lamb, who came to lose our game so that others might win his. So Westside, let's set our minds on the things of God rather than on the things of this world. Jesus, we start today we start today refocusing our attention on you and your way we put our 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 hope and our trust and our and, and 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 for our future for our nation into your hands and jesus we cry out for our land we cry out for our hearts we cry out for our students we cry out for all those in our community jesus that are broken and searching and trying to find answer answers we we pray jesus that you would break us from the the loyalties that we have given to others, that you would break us from the idolatry that we have in our nation towards systems that we think can help us. But in the end, Jesus, they fail miserably. Only you, Jesus, have the answers to life. And so we cry out to you to move again in a fresh way through your people. Help us, Jesus, to align our hearts and our minds with you, your word, and your way. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, a couple of things, you guys, before you tune out, is Pastor Bo created a really cool resource. I mentioned it last week on her website, Soul Space, called Finding Peace in Political Uncertainty. And it's an opportunity to just disengage from this world for a minute and focus your hearts on what God has to say about all this. And so you can find that resource at peaceinuncertainty.com and uh, check that out. Next week, we're starting a series in the book of Joel, and uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about repentance and what that looks like in our lives. I hope you can join us for that. And uh, besides that, um, here's your home church questions. I hope you have an amazing time of dialogue and discussion. Remember to create safe spaces where people can have uh, their own opinions in and, and, and an environment where they are loved and accepted regardless. And so God bless you guys, and we'll see you next weekend.